in church for a while, if you grew up in church or you've been uh, to church um, in, the, in the past, you, you have heard this Bible verse quoted uh, usually in um, potluck lines uh, forever. And, and, and the, verse is, the verse is this, uh, the last will be first and the first, right. <laughs> like if you've been a follower of Jesus for, for very long at all, you've heard that verse th- thrown around um, and, and we use it kind of like a joke when we're cutting in front of somebody in line. <laughs> like, like it gives us, like it's the get out of jail free card. And we go, well, God says the last will be first and the first last, so I'm able to, <laughs> to cut in front of you. And, and I think sometimes we use that verse to kind of justify things that we might do. Like if I feel oppressed, I might use that verse to justify something that might make me the oppressor and then switch the tables. And then I go, well, God said the, the last will be first and now I'm first, ha ha. And then I get to do whatever I want to to you, the things that you did to me. And, and so we kind of use that, that verse to kind of get out of some things and try to turn the tables on, on other people. But I want you to know that is not the way God intended us to use that truth or to understand that truth and the way it plays out in, in our lives. Instead, it, it is really more like just this statement of this is the way things play out in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. It, it doesn't always make sense in this, in this world. Like, like in God's kingdom, he says, give and it'll be given to you. And, and that's not what the kingdom, the kingdom of this world says, keep everything you possibly can. And so God's kingdom is upside down, it's, it's different. And this verse, this idea, this truth about the last being first and the first last, we're not supposed to use it as a, as a weapon, we're just supposed to understand that this is the way God has intended things to work out and we see it in scripture and we see it in our lives play out all the time. And we're, we'll certainly see it um, in the story for today that we're going to read in Luke chapter 2. And so there's a big group of scripture, and I'm just gonna, we're just going to plow through it, okay? So, um, so hold on. In the same region, this is Luke chapter 2 beginning verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, the saying from the angels. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up all these things. She pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, I, I wanted to read 
that, that whole passage right off the bat and kind of give us this idea of the whole scope of that um, story because I noticed something this week that, I, that I've never noticed before. Um, I've been preaching from the shepherd story for almost 30 years. Like every year we come back to the same stories uh, and I have never noticed this. And, and I don't know how God works in your life, but it's like sometimes um, as, as, I'm, as I'm preaching, as I'm preparing to preach on, on Sunday, uh, but believe it or not, I do work a few more days than one every week. Um, and so sometimes when I'm preparing during the week for the message, like the, the, the idea, the, the point, the, the text, just like there's just a whole bunch of stuff there and it's just almost easy. To, to get the message put together and like what God wants to share with us um, on, on Sunday morning. Sometimes that comes pretty easy. Last week came pretty easy. Um, this week, completely different story. It, it was a, I had like pages of notes. I had all these ideas, but I couldn't put them together. It was really, really difficult. Um, and it's usually on those weeks when it, it just, it's not coming easily that other things, like DJ was talking about, other things kind of come in. And, and, and so this week I, I had to preach a funeral on, on Friday. And so I met with a family on Wednesday and some stuff, just a bunch of stuff coming up. And so all of these things were kind of competing and wrestling for time. And I, I really was struggling with the message. And, and, then, um, and then I noticed something as I was kind of like, sometimes I just take a break and I go, I go do something. Typically it's getting a sledgehammer and tearing something down here at the building. Uh, clear my head a little bit. I'm like, okay, God, like I have to preach this weekend and, and, and I don't know where this is, this is going. Like you've, you've got to help me. And so I'm like, I'm reciting the story in my head and I'm, I'm, going, I'm going through it. And, and, and here's what God kind of revealed to me. Um, the apostle Luke wrote this story about the shepherd's and the angels. And last week, we looked at the wise men um, and, and Herod and the religious leaders from a story that the apostle Matthew wrote. And here's what struck me this week. These are the same story. These are the same story. What we looked at last week and what I just read this morning. They're the same story with two different outcomes. And, and as you read the story, those you think, like a typical person reading the stories, those you think would come in first, they come in last. And those you think would be last, they come in first. So, <laughs> before we start looking at these kind of two stories and the parallels, I, I want to I give you like the major points you're going to have to keep in mind as we move through um, these two stories. So in Luke chapter 2, we have the shepherds, and in Matthew, we have uh, King Herod and the religious leaders. As we talk today, um, I'm going to just say the, the Jewish elite. That was the powerful, the political, the influential, the, the, the wealthy people. They were the Jewish uh, elite. So you have the shepherds, on the one hand, they are, they are poor, they are shunned by the, the people, like 
you didn't like shepherds unless you were a shepherd, okay? And then, and then you have the powerful people, the people in position um, with, with wealth and, and, and influence in the Jewish elite. And these two groups of people parallel each other in, in the stories. The other major parallel is um, in Luke chapter 2, you have the angels. And in the Matthew story, you have the wise men. And these two groups parallel each other. So just keep those two parallels uh, kind of mirrors in your mind as we um, move on to the rest. And, and hopefully, um, I don't know, maybe you knew this already, but I didn't. And so this is kind of cool to me. So first off, Luke tells us that the shepherds were in the same region as Jesus. So Luke starts out, in that same regions, there were shepherds keeping watch over their field at, at night. But what we learned last week was that um, Jerusalem and the temple and the Jewish elite were only five miles from Bethlehem. And, and it's very possible that the shepherds were about as far away from Bethlehem as, as Herod and the Jewish elite were from Bethlehem. They were in that same region. So both of these stories take place in the same region. There's also, and I just think this is really interesting, there's also some pretty strong evidence that the shepherds were near Bethlehem because they were special shepherds. Now, nobody cared about them anymore, but their job among shepherds was just a little more special and a little more specialized. It is speculated that the shepherds near Bethlehem were the shepherds that cared specifically for the lambs that would be used in the temple sacrifices, namely the um, burnt offering or called the sin offering. So these shepherds were the ones who had to care for and protect the lambs to make sure that they were spotless, that they had no um, problems or defects or issues. They had to be perfect. They had to be a year old. They had to be male in order to be offered as a sin offering in the temple. Okay, so, um, so there's a lot of um, extra biblical writing about how the shepherds cared for these lambs. And in fact, I've read some things, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I've read some things that these particular lambs that were born were, were cared for very carefully. Like they would, they would wrap them in cloths and they would place them in mangers to protect them so that they were pure and spotless and perfect in order to go to the temple. Now, here's the other interesting side to that story. The shepherds were a group of people who were shunned by virtually all other Jewish people, but in particular by the temple priests. So these shepherds worked with the temple priests because they provided the lambs for the sacrifice, and, and so that people would come and they would get these lambs, they'd be approved, and then they would present them in the temple, their sin would be transferred to the lamb, and then the lamb would be slaughtered, be killed for their sin, the blood of the lamb Shed And so the, the Bible said they had to be perfect and spotless and a year old male. Okay. The relationship between the temple priests and the shepherds, there, there was a relationship there, but it was, it was difficult. They didn't like the shepherds. And, and the priests didn't like the shepherds because shepherds, by nature of their job, were almost always ritually impure. Because they were out in the wilderness, because they were around death 
and, and animals and, and different things that they were ritually impure, which means if you're ritually impure, you can't go into the temple and you can't participate in temple things. And so shepherds very seldom got to go in and participate in the temple, even though they supplied the lambs for the temple. So the priests didn't like the shepherds because they were impure. Now, the temple priests were almost always ritually pure because they were constantly serving in the temple. But the shepherds who are impure care for the lambs that are offered up in the sacrifice, and the priests who are pure are the ones who kill those lambs. And the shepherds are the ones who come to the manger and they find Jesus and the temple priests are the ones who kill him. I think that's a very interesting relationship. The, the second connection, I think, between the two stories is that both the shepherds and the Jewish elite were waiting for the Messiah, but neither of those groups were really watching for him. Like, it's a surprise, right? We, led, we read last week in, in Matthew's story that when the wise men show up, they say, hey, we saw the star in the sky. Where's the king? And everybody is caught by surprise. Like, th this is the promised Messiah that you've been waiting for for 1,500 years or more, and, and, it's, and you're surprised. Like, oh, my goodness, how, how did we miss that? Um, the, the Jewish people, they knew um, they knew where and they knew why and they knew how in terms of the Messiah. They just didn't know when. And after thousands of years of, of waiting, the watching part gets really difficult. And I, I want to kind of pause here in the similarities because waiting is hard. If, if you've ever waited for a diagnosis, if you've ever waited for a loved one to make it home, Waiting is difficult, and the longer you have to wait, the harder the waiting gets. Unless, unless you give up watching for the thing that you're waiting for. Now, here's how it usually works in our life the longer the wait, the more difficult it becomes to be constantly watching for that thing you're waiting for. And so what we do is we begin to occupy ourselves with other things while we wait. We begin to take care of things that, that we think are important because they, were, they are kind of right in front of us. And so we distract ourselves from the waiting and the watching by handling the things that are around us. And, and when it comes to Messiah and stuff, we, we kind of, we're like, ah, we've been waiting for a long time. It's just really easy to kind of start taking care of my kingdom and the things in my life that need to be taken care of because these things seem really important because they're right here and they're right now and they're affecting me. And I'm like waiting for something else, but I'm really not watching for it anymore because I'm focused on this other stuff. And then pretty soon we forget that we're waiting. And so I don't want to be too hard on the shepherds or the Jewish elite because you and I know what it's like to wait so long for the Messiah to come that you kind of stop watching for him. Like the people of Israel, they'd been waiting for Messiah's first coming for a long time. 
And we have been waiting for Messiah's second coming for a long time. And so we get distracted by other things that seem to be more pressing because they're they're right there and they need our attention in the moment. And we get so focused then on our little kingdoms that we forget we're waiting for a bigger kingdom, a, a better kingdom. And we can forget that the way we're supposed to live is a part of that kingdom and not just our kingdom. And so we get distracted. So let this be a reminder to us as we approach Christmas to not forget to watch while we're waiting. And not get so distracted about our kingdom that we forget about his kingdom. The, the, the sixth thing, I think, or no, the third thing, sorry, is a thing of similarity is that the shepherds were told about Jesus' birth by the angels and the Jewish elite were told about Jesus' birth by aliens. Not, not space aliens, but aliens meaning foreigners. These were people from Babylon that came a long distance to come in and share. And since I like alliteration and things that start with the same letter or they rhyme or whatever, I thought that was good. But I also think it's really interesting that the, um, the wise men are aliens, meaning foreigners, but the shepherds see these angels who are in the sky. And what do we call things in the sky that we don't really know? Aliens. So uh, it's interesting um, that both the shepherds and the, and the religious elite are, are, or the Jewish elite are, are told by, by aliens, essentially, about this baby-born king. Now, the wise men travel a great distance from Babylon to Israel uh, and specifically to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem to tell the Jewish elite that the king had been born. And the angels, presumably, travel a great distance from heaven to earth to tell the shepherds the king had been born. This is the same story. The, the wise men followed a bright light in the sky from Babylon to Israel, and the shepherds saw a bright light in the sky near Bethlehem. Now let's get freaky for just a, for just a moment, because I thought this was really kind of cool too. There's a, uh, there's a pretty strong argument. That the wise men, the star that the wise men see when they're uh, at home in Babylon um, in the east, the star that they see appears on the night that Jesus is born. They see this star. And because they see the star, they tie it back to the promise of Messiah and they begin making preparations and plans for their journey to Israel. Now it takes them two years uh, approximately to get from Babylon uh, to Israel um, to, to finally meet the king and then to get down to Bethlehem and, and, and see, uh, see Jesus. This is, really, this is really wild though. What if, what if, because the, the wise men see the star and then it apparently goes away. Did, did you catch that in the story? That the, the star kind of apparently goes away. When the wise men leave King Herod, they get excited because they see the star again and it leads them to Jesus, where, wherever he was at the time. What if the shepherds and the wise men saw the same light in the sky? To the wise men, that light appeared like a star, a bright star in the sky from all the way over in Babylon, and it triggers them to make the journey to Bethlehem. But to the shepherds who were right there, 
the light in the sky is the angelic host giving them this message. Things that make you go, hmm. Like, I just think that's really interesting. It just lines up. Okay, Um, number six. When the shepherds saw and heard the angels, like you show up and they give them this message, they were afraid. And so the angel said, fear not, I bring you good times and great joy to to all people. When the Jewish elite hear what the wise men have to say, uh, Matthew says they were troubled. But why were they troubled? They were troubled because they were afraid they might lose their kingdom. So both groups are afraid in each of the stories. Both the shepherds and the Jewish elite were told the king is born. The wise men asked, where is he? When they were told, the king is born, where is he? And the angels show up and they tell the shepherds, the king is born, here's where you'll find him. Same thing. In both stories, we have a callback to Jewish scriptures. The angels sing of the promise that the Messiah will bring peace to the earth. And the religious leaders, they look at the Old Testament and they talk about the promise of Messiah to be born in in Bethlehem. Both, Both ancient prophecies about the same Messiah. There's also a call to action in in both of the stories, uh, the shepherds and the Jewish elite. The shepherds receive that call and they go filled with hope at what they'll find in in Bethlehem when they find the Messiah. The Jewish elite, they say, uh, you go to the wise men. And then we see later that Herod and, and the religious leaders, they're filled with hate because they're going to try and kill Jesus before he can grow up. And, and, And so at about two years old, they try to kill all of the male babies in Judea. In in both stories, we find rejoicing. The wise men rejoice because they see the star again. The shepherds rejoice. The, The text actually says they glorified and praised God for all they had seen like the wise men and heard. But there's rejoicing in both stories. At the end of each story, the wise men go back to their own country And the shepherds return to their flocks and herds. Both of them go back to what they were doing before. There are a lot of similarities between these two stories. Like like too many for you to read the stories and then go, this wasn't on purpose. (laughs) Like like I think, um, I think if I remember correctly, Luke was written after Matthew. And I wonder if Luke read what Matthew wrote about the wise men, and then he tied that in to the story he wrote about the shepherds because he wanted us to see that there were the same stories, but there were two um, different outcomes. But I think the similarities in the stories are supposed to to point us um, to the differences in the stories. We see so many similarities. We go, okay, is this the same story? And we have to pause and go, okay, there's all these things that are the same. Are there any differences in in the story? So here are uh, the differences. The shepherds go, but the Jewish elites stay. And because the shepherds go, they get to participate in the birth of, of the Messiah. They become an integral part of what's going on. They tell other people about it. But the Jewish elite, they begin to protect their positions. And, and that trait continues throughout Jesus' ministry. And, and their desire to protect their little kingdom ultimately leads, at least in part, to Jesus' death. 
Over and over again, we, we hear the religious elite, the Jewish elite saying, if we don't do something about Jesus, we are going to lose everything that we have. Our kingdom is going to crumble. And, and then there's a switch in the parallels a, a little bit. But the wise men, they, they leave Bethlehem and, and they go back to Babylon and, and there's nothing. Like we're told nothing more about them. We're not told that they say anything to anyone. They talk to Herod, they go find Jesus, and then they leave and they're silent. But in the shepherd's story, they tell everyone. And so here's the, the, the point for us today. Both of these groups, the shepherds and the Jewish elite, they are given the same opportunity. And I think that's what's going on between the, same, the two stories. I think we're supposed to recognize that these two groups of people Those with wealth and and power and and those who are weak and and poor, they are given the same opportunity. Herod and the religious religious leaders, they they decide to protect their positions. They, they, They decide to kind of hedge their kingdoms against this Messiah, this this king. But the shepherds decide to become participants in the promise. They hear about the king and they say, all right, we're, we're in. And they go and they participate in what's going on. Both of the groups had the same opportunity, but only the shepherds take advantage of it. Jesus welcomed the shepherds, I think, at the manger, not because they were perfect, not because they were the, the best, not because they were the, the, the most pure, not because they were the most ritually pure. Jesus welcomed them at the, at the manger because they were present because they showed up because they said okay we're gonna go and and see what this is all about and so the last became first at the manger not because there was some kind of conspiracy not because they overthrew uh, the religious elite not not because not because there was some extra thing brought into the story but because they cared more for what could be than what had been and the Jewish elite, the, the first were last because they refused to give up what they had for what they needed. And so Jesus welcomed the shunned at the manger. And he continued to do that throughout his life and ministry. He spent time with the outcast. He helped the hurting. He held the hopeless. He cared for the contagious He loved the least of these, not because they were better, but because they they needed him, because they welcomed him, because they wanted what he had to offer. It it was Jesus who said, it's not the healthy who seek out a doctor, it's the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not just sacrifice. Just like the shepherds and the Jewish elite, you and I are given the same opportunity to participate in the story that God is writing. And and so the question is, does that story inspire us to move or does it just make us mad? And and I really think those those two things, let me... Let me tell you why I think those two things are kind of opposite each other. 
Because when we hear about Jesus coming, when we hear about what he calls us to in his kingdom, to live differently, to give and to serve and to love, we can either move into that or we get mad. And we get mad because we feel like he's calling us to give up our kingdom. And, and just like the religious elite, we go, we go, we go man, I've been, I've been working on this, God. I've been building this all my, all my life. I've been, I've been doing these things to protect me and make sure that I have enough and I can survive and I can do the things I can provide for myself and my family and what I need. And so when we hear what Jesus has to offer and then we hear that he says, look, give and it'll be given to you. Love and, and serve. We can get mad because we feel like he's asking us to leave what we've built. Or we can take the other option and we can move and we can say, okay, I have this kingdom, but your kingdom is better. Your kingdom is, is bigger. And, and I want to be a part of what you are doing. The birth of Jesus, when we understand it, when it, when it comes, when, when Jesus is birthed into our lives, meaning when we hear about the story of Jesus, it may interrupt our plans and it may interrupt our projects and the kingdom that we're building. But the question comes down to the same thing. What will you do with him? What will you do with that baby born king? Will you participate in the story that God is writing just like the shepherds did? Or will you try even harder to protect the story that you've been writing for yourself in your kingdom? The, the sad reality is that all too often those who have more reject their need for a savior because they can't let go of what they have. While those who have less receive him. And so the last become first and the first last. This year we've got the opportunity to give like the wise men and to show up like the shepherds. When we give to bless our homeless friends and those facing challenging pregnancies. And I, I want to thank you for what you've given already. We'll continue to collect things for the next two weeks. But I just want to encourage you this week and as we move closer to Christmas to be a part of the story that God is writing. And you can do that. It's really simple. Whenever you hear or see God at work around you. Just move toward that. When there's an opportunity, don't focus in on your little kingdom and what you might lose and what you don't have. Just step into the bigger story that God is writing. Participate in what God is doing and, and you'll find that you become a much bigger part of his story than you could imagine. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and for calling us into this kingdom that is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. God, forgive us when we, when we try to protect our little kingdom and what we have 
and try to keep the little that we have when you have so much more for us. So God, help us to follow the footsteps of the shepherds, to go, to serve, to be involved, to tell, and not just to hole up in our kingdom and try to protect it. God, I pray that we would experience the birth of Jesus this year because hope isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. And it's not something that we're waiting for like our Jewish friends for 2,000 more years to come. But hope is here right now when we step into it. God, thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.